0: Happy anniversary, happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary!
1: Mysterious. Domineering. Remorseless. To his adversaries, the name Abdullah the Butcher meant one word. Pain.
2: He's just mauling the opponent. He is absolutely dangerous. Abdullah is the baddest man in the world.
1: over half a century the butcher has carved a path of ruin with his uniquely brutal style utilizing his intimidating appearance and martial arts background the wild man from the sudan was a terrorizing in-ring force
3: this is a savage animal
1: but it was outside the ring's traditional boundaries and rules that abdullah built his legacy of mayhem and destruction
3: one of the most out of control suspended
2: Abdullah the Butcher is in there for one reason, that's to hurt
1: somebody. Abdullah's reign of devastation quickly became a global phenomenon as his unpredictable behavior made him a must-see attraction around the world. The Sudanese madman's vicious tactics have become the stuff of legend, inspiring an entire generation of hardcore competitors. See,
2: Abdullah the Butcher's the king of the ring. Nobody's messing with him.
1: As a dedicated star who never compromised his revolutionary approach to his craft, it is with great pleasure that the WWE inducts Abdullah the Butcher into the Hall of Fame.
3: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
1: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal A.J. Styles. You're listening to the
4: two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay.
3: be admired or be pitied, but he's hanging in there. There's another similar jab to the neck like we saw a moment ago. Abdullah, the butcher, picks him up. Drops him down with a slam. The butcher with that wild eyed look. The ring teeters as he backs. With a wild eyed charge. The butcher down with a 400 pound elbow. One, two, three. Mercifully, this bout is over. Now, let's get him out of the ring and get out of here before anything else happens. Jerry Allen goes down to Abdullah the Butcher, who finishes him off with a 400 pound elbow. And the winner of the match, Abdullah the Butcher. Now, I want to watch if we can. I want you to see Butcher get up. He has the most chilling look in his eye. He just sends chills up and down your back with that look in his eye. Well, Gary Hart finally has him off. Now he's grabbed, what? He's grabbed that club he's got. That long rod. He hit Allen over the head with it. Bronco Lubitsch warning Gary Hart. He comes back with a jab to the midsection. The Butcher with that wild look in his eye again, doesn't seem to reason very well. I'm not sure this man is too uh, civil. Well, let's keep it here until we get him out of the ring. Here he comes again. He hits Bronco Lovitch. The Butcher on an attack with Bronco Lovitch. We need help from the back. We need some help. Gary Hart help is cutting the Butcher, jabbing that into the... Now Gary has grabbed it from behind and backs him off. Jerry Allen in a terrible shape. Bronco is down. The Butcher's still using that rod. Here comes Rick Hazard. Well, Pulley's out. I've never seen anything like this. I've seen attacks on wrestlers, but Against senior referee Bronco Lubich.
2: Interesting to see what it is as he takes off the paper. You know, stink fans all over the world, and this is really a show of love in this I'm assuming, the many millions of fans he has. This tremendous superstar in world championship wrestling. Wait a second! That's Abdullah the Butcher. out of the box Floyd sting head versus the safety ram that's not from any fan not at all abdullah the butcher relentless one of the most sadistic evil men in the history of the world championship wrestling stomping away at the stinger unmercifully who will send the madman from the Sudan on the stinger
4: To help Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the flagship episode, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am your host, JP John Paz, and on today's episode, we have none other than a pro wrestling and WWE Hall of Famer. He has been a part of wrestling for over seven decades. Just insane just to think about his career. He, of course, is the madman from the Sudan, Abdullah the Butcher. Finally, after all these years, we're able to get the legendary Abdul the Butcher on the show. It's been a long time coming, that is for sure. And on this episode, we get a pretty long and in-depth interview with the butcher. Some great stuff. We really kind of start from the beginning and, and you know, and, and at the end, so to speak. So we really start at the beginning and talk about getting into the business in Canada, becoming Abdul the Butcher. You know, How did he really get into the business? We know he has a judo and a karate background. We know what he was kind of doing outside of the business, but how does he get in the business? There are some great stories on that, and they'll go deep, deep diving into that for sure. We also talk about kind of a little bit about uh, his fandom as well. You know, wh- who influenced him in, in the business, the the guys like The Sheik and Bobo Brazil and, and Dick the Bruiser and kind of really molded him to what he would become. And he kind of took a little bit from each guy, but really adapted and created his own hardcore style. He was hardcore before hardcore was cool. He was doing... All that hardcore stuff. And ECW kind of came along. And we do talk about it at the end of the interview. But, uh, you know, they copied him quite a bit. And took some stuff from him. And they kind of turned it into the extreme style. But really, he was the inventor of that hardcore, crazy style. And, man, he did it like nobody else. Causing riots. Doing whatever he needs to do to get that... Victory. We talk about the infamous fork and how that came about and using that as a weapon. We talk about the Abdul the Butcher character and kind of where it really kind of started and what he turned it into and and why he was named Abdul the Butcher, why he was so sadistic, why he was the madman from Sudan. We go into all that. We talk about even some movies that were an inspiration to him becoming that vicious heel that he became, that vicious bad guy, and really... If you look at it and you just look at at his career, really that special attraction throughout the territories, not even throughout the territories, throughout the world, globally. I mean, he was an international icon, an international wrestling superstar, Canada, Israel, Kuwait, talk about... um, going into Europe, talk about Australia, talk about New Zealand, talk about Africa, talk about being one of the biggest stars ever in Puerto Rico, then talking about becoming one of the biggest stars ever in Japan. I mean, man, he just, he's been everywhere, and like he says in the interview, drew money everywhere. He was a top star everywhere he went, and I really, really liked when we got into Japan and really were talking about that Kind of pop in the territory over there in Japan, whether it be drawing big houses in New Japan Pro Wrestling or drawing big houses in All Japan Pro Wrestling, he really was just a enormous, enormous superstar over there, and the fans absolutely feared him. But they paid to see him, so he's drawing huge money. But they are absolutely scared of him. The top guy Jin for a while over there in Japan. We talk about feuds over there with Hulk Hogan and having you know great matches with the Hulkster and just. Different types of matches with him and also great matches, of course, with guy like Terry Funk, who they have an absolute blood feud. Talk about what he thinks about the Hulkster and what he thinks about Terry Funk and their relationships. We also do talk about kind of becoming a cultural icon over there in Japan, not really needing to talk. He usually had a manager or a mouthpiece throughout his career doing the talking for him. But when you look at it, he didn't need to talk. He was just that special attraction that crazy character and he kind of feared him more for the fact that he doesn't talk and didn't talk so that was kind of a a cool thing really uh, about his uh, career as well of course we do go into his epic feud with a bruiser Brody whether it was in Puerto Rico Japan or of course in world class championship wrestling him and Brody had quite an insane feud and just a crazy violent matches that they had all over the world it was just a crazy, crazy time and, and crazy matches that they had. We do of course talk about the death of Bruiser Brody in Puerto Rico as well and kind of how that all went down and I know you've heard it on Dark Side of the Ring and many different Bruiser Brody documentaries but we just did, had to touch on it because it is a part of duel the Butcher's history and that was one of his good close personal friends and one of his best rivals as well so you know how to touch on that. We also talk about other kind of just legendary matches and legendary wrestlers that that he wrestled against like a Blackjack Mulligan and like a Lou who he absolutely loves. And of course, guys like Stan Hansen, Sting, Cactus Jack, Don Leo, Jonathan, and many others. We really do run the gamut and talk about his entire career. All Japan, New Japan. Talk about the WWE and really how he never wrestled for the WWF or the WWWF or the WWE, but still was able to be in their Hall of Fame as well because he was just such a huge star. And I felt like WWE kind of had to put him in because it's their responsibility not just to put in WWE guys, but to put in guys that were huge, huge wrestling stars all over the world. And he definitely fits that bill. So from Japan to Puerto Rico, Canada, the United States, everywhere in between, we talked to Abby about all these great territories, and it's just a tremendous interview. So before I send it off to the interview, I just want to also mention the other shows. A part of the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, we have Rick Bassman's Talking Tough and Three Way Dance. We have. Dirty Dutch Mantels, University of Dutch, which is available on the MLW radio network. We have Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast, which is available on Vince Russo's The Brand. And of course, last but not least, Dr. Tom, taking you to school right here and available on the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting feed. So without any further ado, I'm going to send it off to some two-man power trip of wrestling business and then send it on over to the interview with the Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer, the WWE Hall of Famer man that was a champion all over the world, a special attraction like no other, the madman from the Sudan, Abdullah the Butcher.
0: Makasih tu mama tolol Allah, makasih tu mama dilih milah Allah, maha Allah, maha misteri mama tolol, ya kasih mama ya Allah ya kasih mama mama lo.
4: WWE Hall of Famer. You may know him as the Madman from the Sudan. He has been wrestling in the better part of seven decades. One of the biggest legends in the history of professional wrestling. He is Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling.
5: Thank you very much for having me on.
4: Now, it's, I mean, there's so much like about your career. I you don't even know where to start, but let's just kind of start with where did Abdul the Butcher come from?
5: I came from uh, Windsor, Ontario. Uh, the one who broke me in the business was uh, Jack Britton and his son, Gino Brickle. They broke me in Detroit, in Michigan. And that was it.
4: Then I was just... Go ahead. I was going to say, so what was kind of your thought process? Did you always like pro wrestling? Were you always into pro wrestling? Did you always want to be a professional wrestler?
5: No, um, I was teaching uh, um, uh, you know, uh, karate, and I was uh, at the Windsor Arena, and I used to have classes there. And uh, then I had a janitorial service, whatever, and that was it. And then when Jack Britton came along, and says, um, how would you like to be arrested? I said, well, he said, I'll pick you up in, uh, on a Monday. And he took me over to Detroit, Michigan, you know, to the gym they had over there. And when they seen me uh, 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 working
4: out, um,
5: it was Burt Ruby who says he's a natural. And that was it. And I've been doing it ever since.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. For the better part of uh, seven decades, it's crazy to kind of think that maybe at first you weren't going to be in wrestling, right? I mean, you were going to have, basically you were doing some judo and uh, some karate background.
5: Yes, yes. That was it. And then I worked for... uh, uh, um, Ford Motor Company in in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I was doing, you know, very well. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, when I started doing the wrestling, and that was it. Then I started the wrestling. That was it.
4: So you weren't weren't always a fan, right? I mean, you didn't really even have aspirations of getting into the business?
5: uh, Yes or no. I used to watch it, and I used to watch uh, – uh Victor Bruiser, I used to watch Mobile Brazil, the chic and stuff like that, and Lou Klein, all of them. Larry, that was it. And then I got in there I said, Well, I loved it. Then I started uh doing a lot of stuff myself, changing everything. I changed it. Well,
4: yeah, for, for sure, kind of invented uh, style. a style, a, a, certainly a different style of hardcore. But how did you kind of, from Larry Shreve to becoming Abdul the Butcher, so how do you become that character? Where does that come from? Well,
5: um, what happened, I went to, uh, um, I, was, I was working for Ford Motor Company, and all of a sudden uh, um, somebody wanted me um uh, which is named Crybaby Canyon said, Abdullah, they want you in Seattle, Washington, right? So he, he said, they're going to do something for you there. So um, I went to Ford Motor Company, and I said, do me a favor. I said, I want to quit. The guy said, no, don't quit. You can just take off six months and come back like that. So I went to Vancouver, and when I was there, they asked me, that uh, um, the guy's name was um, the promoter, um, Harry Ayotte. And he said to me, "Uh, Abdullah, do me a favor. Would you put this guy over for me? And I said to myself, holy cats. And they brought me all the way from there to Seattle and asked me to do this. I said, okay, no problem. And when I got there, I was wrestling the guy, and uh, I caused a riot. So the promoter, um, Harry Ayad, ran to the ring real fast and said, switch it, switch it. Let Abdullah beat him real fast. And I went there, and I dropped my elbow. And I started hauling meat, beat and stuff like that. And then from there, I went to Vancouver, and that was his partner, uh, Rod Finton. So Rod Finton said to me, uh, uh, "There's a lot of Indians here, you know, from Sudan and stuff like that." He says, "We gotta." My partner said, "You Russ are like a butcher, so we'll keep that name butcher." And Rod Finton said we'll call you, because there's a lot of Indians here, we'll call you Abdullah. And that's the way I got the name, Abdullah Butcher.
4: Wow, and it's stuck, you know, for all these many, many years. So it's kind of a cool thing. It's just kind of random, almost happenstance that it happened that way.
5: Right, right. Because my first name was the great Zealous Amara. And that was it. And then I, from that day on, i always been Abdullah Butcher.
4: Now, what was kind of the inspiration for the the style, the sadistic nature of that gimmick?
5: Well, I love that gimmick. I I love the violence. And when I used to go to the when I used to go to the movies, I used to watch a lot of Tarzan pictures, Indian pictures, all those kind of pictures. And I used to watch it, and I used to listen to the people say, um, "Me this, me that, me this and that," and uh, I loved it. That was it. I always wanted to be the bad guy. So that
4: you gravitated more to playing the heel than than playing oh, the babyface.
5: face? That's right. I always wanted to be the heel. And that was it. So
4: So when you're kinda of going along and you're you're Abdul the butcher. You never really kind of stayed in one territory for too long. You were kind of usually like the special attraction, almost like Andre the Giant in a sense as well. Like you, you. I mean, there were some territories. Obviously, you stayed longer than others. You were for a long period of time. But did you like that kind of being a special attraction and going from territory to territory? Every
5: time that if a promoter bought me into a territory, and or whatever, the first thing I would say, sir, I am coming. Let's really say, well, whatever, I'm coming in there, and I'm going to take over. You know, whatever I have to do, I'm going to take over. And every time that I went into a territory, if it was dead, I used to like to go into a territory was, where it was dead. And then when I build it up, you understand? Mm-hmm. And then when I got it to, you know, to a certain peak, then I I would leave and go to another territory because then the people started say, we want to do the butcher and that was it.
4: You see, great business model for sure.
5: Yes, yes. But if I know what I knew now, you understand? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I uh, I wouldn't trust nobody. I'm serious. That was it. I but one
4: of the one of the territories. I was going to say, one of the territories that you really kind of made a name for yourself was Stampede Wrestling up there in Canada for Stu Hart and the, and the Hearts. I feel like that was uh, a, definitely a promotion where you, where you uh, at first kind of really, really made a big name for yourself.
5: Well, let me tell you something. When I went to uh, uh, Calgary, Alberta, um, Stu Hart said to me, I hear a lot about you, right? Because I was in mm-hmm. Vancouver, from Vancouver or whatever. So. Stu Hart says, uh, "Ab, uh, whatever you want to do, uh, you know, just go ahead and do it." I said, "Stu, just give me, give me four weeks to get over. I'll get over in four weeks, and then from then on, I'll do this, 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 he says, uh, anything that you want to do, Ab." And uh, four weeks, I got over so big, so heavy; it was unbelievable. People never seen nothing like me. And then another thing, um, Stewart's kid. One uh, Stewart's kid was in the ring, and I when I walked in, I stopped right by the ring, and uh, I was getting ready to jump into the ring and uh, you know beat him up and stuff like that. Whatever, it never happened. So I left, and then uh, my match, Stuart's, uh kid came out, and he is watching me, and I jumped out of the ring. <laughs> I jumped out of the ring, grabbed them, and I ran him into the door, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, Stuart came in there. When I got finished, Stuart came and he says, uh, he says, Ab, uh, uh, I wouldn't put my hands on your kids, and I don't want you putting your hands on my uh, effing kids, right? So I said, Stu, they knew what I was gonna do. And Stu says, eh Abba, next time you can kill the sons of bitches. He says, if, if they knew what you were doing, and that was it. Then from that day on, I mean the territory popped and um, Stu Harden used to be open only in the summertime. Uh, no, no, he closed in the summertime and, and uh, um worked in the wintertime. I said, Stu, please let me keep the territory open in the summertime. He says, well, well Ab, it never happened like that. I said, please, let me do it. He says, okay, if you can do it. From that day on, we were doing super business in the summer and in the winter, and that was it.
4: Yep, yep. I,
5: That's one man that I really liked, and I trusted in him, and he is a good man. And uh, I told his kids, and I told all of them, I said, anything that I can do for the hearts, I'll be there for the it for them. Then there was another guy named uh, Bob Johnson, and that was it. I'd do anything for them.
4: So. Now, as you're kind of really going and making a huge name for yourself, you did actually have a few matches, right, in the WWWF, the World Wide Wrestling Federation? In
5: WWWF, was that uh, New York?
4: Yeah, did, did you did you have a few matches in New York?
5: Well I was in Japan and uh the old man uh Vince said, Abdullah, I'm gonna bring you into because Hawk Hogan wanted to work with me in New York. And uh Hawk said to me, Abdullah, you come into New York you can draw nothing but money, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened? Um, they asked a few of the uh, the few of the wrestlers, "What do you think about bringing Abdul the Butcher into New York?" And they said, "Oh, he's going to use the floor, use gimmicks, and stuff." And that was it. It was cut. And I never went in. But I wrestled Hogan in uh, Tokyo many times, and we sold. Oh it.
4: Yeah. That was it. What did you think about the Hulkster? You're right. I mean, that that's a huge, huge match over in Japan. Uh, for New Japan, I mean, you guys uh, obviously drew huge money over there. What do you think about working with the holster?
5: Great. I love working with him. I love working with him. Because, number one, I, I knew how to produce, and he knew how to, how to produce with me. And we done super business. Every place, any place I wrestled him, we done super business. And that was it. I liked him.
4: What did you think about the chemistry and how you guys work together? Because it seemed like you guys had some real different matches than you'd see Hulk have against us, you know, many, many other opponents.
5: Well, because number one, I am a professional. I am a, a professional. I know how to work. And everybody who I work with, if, if they didn't know how to work, I made them. I drew money with everybody, and that was it, everybody, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Auckland, Perth, every place I went, uh, um, I went to Kuwait, Israel, and that was it, all over. We drew nothing but money.
4: Yeah, I feel like a huge star everywhere you went, but really, Japan, you became an absolute legend, an absolute icon over there. How did you kind of get the, the first trip over there where you really kind of established yourself and really kind of got comfortable over there? Was it All Japan, back, basically, back in the early 70s?
5: New Japan. No, All Japan, yeah. Mm-hmm. All Japan. Yeah, Baba. Um, Rick, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, a guy came to me and said, uh, Abdullah, how would you like to go to uh, Tokyo? I said, no, 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 I don't want to go to Tokyo. I'm too busy, you know, around here. He says, well, who was the, the, the guy in uh, um, L.A.? Um, he was, Gene Le- Jean Labelle? Uh, not, not him, but his partner was Japanese.
4: Oh, okay, I got you.
5: So anyways, when I went there, he says, Abdullah, we want you in Japan. So I said, oh, well, I don't want to go. He, said, yeah. he says, you would do good over there. Well, anyways, when I went to Japan the first time, I'd done my little stuff. People were running. People were screaming. And Mrs. Baba, I went right to her with my fork in my mouth, and she took out running. <laughs> so then uh, they wanted me to come back the following the following uh, thing, I said, No, I don't want to come back. He said to me, uh, We want you to come back. We want you to come back. We'll take care of you. And then they made me a deal and uh, I went back. And I've been going to Japan every month in Japan. And uh, I do nothing but do big houses, everything. I work with new stays, work with all of them. Yes, everybody.
4: You became a huge, huge icon over there. It's just crazy. Where'd you kind of come up with the, the obviously you know the fork in the mouth and, and just using that as a weapon? Was that something that you you just thought of and were like, oh, this would be a great weapon?
5: Well, before I used to take a a, a bottle, if I and I'd break the bottle on the floor, whatever, or if I seen a chair, or if I seen a stick, whatever, whatever I seen. But the uh, the guy who gave me the the fork, somebody threw a fork. And the fork stopped at the, at the end of the ring. And my manager at that time was Honest John. He picked up the, the thing and gave it to me. And I stabbed the guy in the head, started stabbing him, stabbing him, stabbing him. And the people went crazy. And I've been using it ever since. That was it.
4: Now, did they, it seemed like it, just from watching your old footage and tapes, did they legitimately fear you and think that, you know, you really were the madman from the Sudan? Like, did they really, like, just absolutely fear you?
5: You mean the people?
4: Yeah, the fans.
5: Yes, they feared me. Because what I would do, I'd go into the ring, and I would stare at them. And when I would stare at them, when you see them turning their eyes from you or, or they can't look at you, then you know that you got them hooked, and that was it. Oh, yeah, I used to chase people. If I jumped out of the ring and started walking towards, you know, the people, they'd get up and start running. That was it.
4: Yes. In Japan, was that at at all, like, a culture shock for you, or did you immediately kind of take to it? Because, like I said, I mean, you've been going there for the better part of 40 years. I think last year you even went there for a, a big memorial, big tribute show to you. So I mean, you're still kind of going to Japan, which is crazy. But is that like you just kind of took to that culture right away?
5: I loved it. I loved it because I changed the whole system in Japan. And um, Ricky Dozan, Ricky Dozan died, right? Mm-hmm. And when I first went there, uh, you know, they were honoring Ricky Dozan, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what's funny? I said, what? I said, you know, Ricky Dozan died because he knew I was coming. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and the people went crazy. They went crazy, right? And, and that was it. Anything what I'd done... I, uh, I popped the people. If I worked with the Japanese, I, I would try my best to beat them to death. And that was it. Yep, yeah. i done everything.
4: Do you speak Japanese at all? Like, Are you that... I mean, you've been going there forever. Did you know the in and outs of Japan? Did you speak Japanese, all that kind of stuff?
5: I always had... They would never let me talk. I always had uh, backup people, bodyguards and... They would take me to clubs and take me here and there and stuff like that. That was it. They wouldn't let me talk to the to the people. You know, I'd just go, oh, you know, Zymus or something like that. Or, you know, chocolate means just a minute and stuff like that. Kobe beef means uh, uh, a steak. That was it.
4: I think a lot of people, when they think of kind of like you and maybe even All Japan, they think of like a blood feud with Terry Funk and, and really kind of just like two gaijins that basically sold out over there like crazy, which is a little bit different than you would think. You would think the Japanese guys would be on top, but it was the, really the gaijins. Do you remember having just a, a tremendous blood feud with a guy like Terry Funk? And what are your memories of that?
5: Terry Funk? Let me tell you about Terry Funk. Terry Funk is a hell of a a hell of a wrestler. He knows he knows how to sell, he knows how to do this. He knows how to do everything. And the Japanese people love them. And anything with Terry Funk done, you understand? The main part about it is this. Terry funk, you never seen him fly all over the over the, 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 the building or right what you seen him do, you seen him punch and sell and do this and do that. Terry Funk. Even when he had the championship belt. I think he made more money than uh, anybody who had the belt. That was it. But Terry Funk, I love uh, I love Terry Funk. I'd speak up for that man. I I I'd call him every so often. I like Terry Funk. Terry Funk is a is is a is a. He's a great entertainer, and he's the one who spoke highly of me when I when I went into the Hall of Fame. And that was it.
4: Did you feel that Abdul the Butcher, the character, like never needed a, a world title? Like he never needs to be the world champ.
5: I carried many belts. Yep. I carried many belts. Yep. And uh, one time, uh, I was in Vancouver. No, no, in uh, in Atlanta, and I think it was. Uh, I beat. I think I I beat Terry for the uh, for the world belt or whatever. Then uh, somebody come running down there and said, hey, you want a seat on the rope? Hey. Then they took him back. I think I only had it for about two minutes.
4: Mm-hmm. And that, was that was it. But do you think that Abdullah the Butcher, the character, is so over? you know what I mean? He doesn't really need to be the world champion of a territory. He's kind of not above it, but it's just he, like he's he's basically such a big star that the belt is not necessarily, necessarily needed for him.
5: Oh, it not mean nothing. The belt doesn't mean nothing. People just wanted to see me. Mm-hmm. And that was it. The people just wanted to see me. They wanted to see me wrestle uh, guys who they thought that they had a chance of beating me. They wanted to see me get beat, and that was it.
4: With you going so much to Japan, but eventually, I mean, you're you're going there so much, but you do come over to the States and kind of solidify yourself in world-class championship wrestling with Chris Von Erich and the Von Erichs down there in Dallas, Texas, and you had a huge feud just the crazy matches and just they're awesome matches against Bruiser Brody. What are kind of your thoughts of not only world-class, but that feud with Bruiser Brody?
5: Bruiser Brody is the same thing with like Terry Funk. He knew how to wrestle. He knew how to get the people going and he could fight. And he, uh, he didn't take no shit. And uh, he told the promoters off. And that was it. But um, I wish, I wish. And he was still around. That was it. I wish he was still around. So,
4: Man, if you just go back and, and still, I mean, the matches really hold up well today. It's just crazy. You guys would beat each other you know, with everything, whatever the cliche, the kitchen sink, whatever you want to say. I mean, You guys oh, yeah. would kill each other. I mean, it just looked like, like, man, these guys must hate each other. They were absolutely killing each other. What was kind of the respect level with you guys? Because those were some crazy, crazy, vicious matches.
5: We were... Uh, we were tight. We knew how to work. We knew how to fight, and uh, that was it. We knew we knew what the people wanted. Today, what do you see now? Today, you see everybody flying over the top ropes, doing this, doing that, doing this. And uh, when we went into the ring, or when Brody went into the ring, or Terry Funk went into the ring, we got it on, and that was it. That's what we done. We hit each the boards, chairs, anything we, were, I mean, we could, uh, you know, grab. And that was it. And when Gordy used to, you know, kick me in the head, you understand? Mm-hmm. He kicked me in the head. You understand? That was it. So that was it.
4: Yeah, that's one of those things where like, okay, maybe this guy doesn't look real, but my God, that, you know, that's real. They are really hurting each other.
5: That's right. That's right. That's right. Terry Funk was the same way. Terry was the same. That was it. So... we worked and, hard. It, and that's why I say, if I knew, and Terry Funk said the same thing, if we knew what we know today, we'd be being theirs. That's it. That's it.
4: And you mentioned kind of Brody, you wish he was around today. Obviously, I mean, it's been talked about a lot. They had a the... Um... Dark Side of the Ring special. They've had Bruiser Brody DVDs, and which you've all kind of been a part of. They had so many different things on Brody, but the sad death of Bruiser Brody in Puerto Rico, does that still kind of haunt you a little bit to this day? Like, man, I mean, that stinks. We could have made so much more money together, and, and that was just some insane, unfortunate, uh, crazy death of Bruiser Brody.
5: Well, me and Brody and, Brody and Stan Hansen, we sold out Puerto Rico so many times, it was unbelievable. You understand? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the main part about it is this. You had two dressing rooms. I was in the hill dressing room. Brody was in, in the baby face. You know, the, the other dressing room. And uh, the, the doctor came to me and said, Adua. I said, what? He said, uh, Jose put. Uh, Bruce Brody He's holding his, his stomach we waiting for the ambulance to come That was it That was it So it was, a, it was a heavy It was a heavy thing I didn't want to believe it But it took the ambulance two hours to get there Because they thought it was It was a business that
4: was mm. it. Yep it's just uh, i know that's been covered a lot but i just wanted to kind of bring that up sad time and it's just crazy looking back at kind of wwc and, and and your time in puerto rico it's almost like you never really needed to go to the united states to make money because you could just go to japan and puerto rico back and forth right i mean you were such a big star and you became a legend in both those places
5: all over any place i went i made it i used to wrestle in chicago sometimes and uh I wrestled a uh, blackjack mulligan. I'll never forget it. And uh, I had him in the ring, and I was uh, stabbing him, and we put him caused the riot. And when he went back to the dressing room, uh, Vern guy named Vern says, what the hell did you do out there? And he said, if you want to get somebody over, that's how you get them over, to draw money. And uh, he picked up his bag, and he told uh, Vern, go F yourself, and walked out. And that was it. I wrestled, hmm. I wrestled everybody, I wrestled Brody. I remember, uh, what's his name, um, Victor Bruce. I wrestled everybody, Lou Says. When I was wrestling, uh, uh, Lou Says, it, he was coming into Vancouver, and the guy said, oh, now that that dude's going to get his ass kicked now, right? Right. And, uh, so, the place was packed, jam-packed, and I uh, um, here comes, uh, what's his name? Um, he came over there, Abdullah. Don't worry about those sons of bitches. Lisa says, Don't worry about them. We got a big house out there. You understand? Let's bring them back. We went out there and tore the damn house down. We came back again and sold it out. And he's the one who took me into. Uh, he took me into. Uh, uh, Israel. He took me into Israel, and I think he took me into uh, uh, Uganda or something. Well, well, he took me into those places, anyways, and that was it. And I always did like uh, I always did like him. That was it. He didn't take no shit, and I didn't take no shit. You know what I mean? So if, yes. I'm, if somebody's gonna try to whip my ass, I'm gonna be the show him what I know too. That was it. The Black Jack Mulligan, understand? He, did, if anybody messed around with his kids, he would jump up, go to the, go to the thing. He would beat up uh, um, the bookers. <laughs> yep, he was a nice guy, really good, and he could take care of himself. That was it.
4: Now, eventually, you know, uh, we're talking about kind of you become just a huge star in Japan and a huge star in Puerto Rico and every territory you went pretty much. I mean, obviously Canada, huge, but you eventually end up in WCW. And it, it's kind of just funny the way it happens. You almost debut in a box, which uh, Jim Cornette always says if you debut in a box, it's, it's automatically over. It's just he loves that. But is that do you kind of just look back? You have, you have fond memories of WCW or do you think so, like some of that stuff is just a little bit silly for the Abdul the Butcher character?
5: Well, the main part, when they put me in the box, I, I was wrestling Sting. Yes. And uh, they wanted to put me in the box, like the say it was a gift, for his birthday or something like that. And when he opened it up, I jumped up and beat the shit out of him. That was it.
4: I remember <laughs> that vividly. Very cool. Yeah. You and Cactus Jack. Uh...
5: I love that guy. The guy never messed with no drugs. The guy, he got a beautiful family. He he was a great worker. I loved him. I loved the way he worked, and that was it. He was the best bump taker, the best bump taker. Nobody could beat him in taking bumps. He'd go to the top of the ceiling if he had to and jump off. Yep. He was a great man. Great man. I loved him.
4: Now. Everyone always says kind of, you know, oh, ECW, innovative, hardcore, and all sort of stuff. Really, they got their style, you know, uh, you know not saying they definitely did, but I think a lot, large part of it, they got their style from you. And you kind of made a few brief appearances in ECW uh, or in, in kind of the early days and had to deal with, you know, Kevin Sullivan and, and Funk and Stan Hansen. But do you think that they kind of took that style from you and maybe, not that you didn't get credit for it, but. No, Maybe not mentioned as much as it should be.
5: Sir, you ask anybody, ask any fan, ask anybody, and say, who started Hardcore? They say, I'm doing a butcher. I mean, the sheik tried to start it, but I overpowered him. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was it. I mean, Stan Hansen uh, uh, knew Hardcore. You understand? But that's it. I mean, look, ask anybody. Who started hardcore? Abdul Abdullah Butcher. And that was it.
4: So, so, at, so, kind of just looking back at your career, what do you think is kind of the, the biggest misconception of Abdullah Butcher? What do you mean? Like people think, do they think because of the gimmick that like, okay, this he's crazy? Is that just one of those things when people maybe even to this day that maybe some fans are still scared of you? Is that something that you always maybe had like a misconception, like oh, he really is crazy, you know, kayfabe wise, and people believe that to be you?
5: I am crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: am crazy. So just kind of looking back at your uh, career, I mean, uh, we mentioned all the territories and basically invented a style, just such a legend. What would you say is like the lasting legacy of Abdul the Butcher? What's kind of the stamp on the business?
5: I don't follow what you're saying, sir.
4: Like when it's all said and done, the lasting legacy of Abdul the Butcher, like years from now when people look back, what do you think they're going to say about Abdul the Butcher?
5: He was crazy. Abdul the Butcher was crazy, and he, and he entertained us. And that's it. It's the same thing with. take a look at. Remember Don Neil Jonathan? Yep. I wrestled him many times. You understand? He knew how to wrestle. He knew how to take care of himself. You understand? hmm Neil Jonathan could do anything. He could fly, drop kicks. He could do anything that he wanted. You see? And if you look at the wrestling today, what do you see? Everybody's flying. You know what I mean. Nobody's putting on a. Nobody's producing. Everybody's doing the same thing. One time, uh, which his name uh uh uh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Barnett said uh, said got up there. He says Abdullah. I, I put this guy on top, and he's not. He's not wrong. I said I want to ask you a personal question. Go talk to the guy who's ringing the bell. And Barnett says, "Well, what the hell does he know?" I said, "Go ask him." So he asked the guy. And you look know at the the guy told him. Everybody's doing the same thing. If somebody throws a heavy chop, the next guy comes over and throws the chop. Everybody does the same. You understand, wrestling number two. When he used to throw the knee, the people went crazy. And nobody else could throw the knee. Somebody went to the top rope, and they dropped their uh, their leg across the guy's throat. Nobody else done that. That was a finish. And that was it. It was a finish. Stan, Stan Hansen. Like if Stan Hansen threw a chop at you, or if we were learied at you. That was the finish. And that's it. So that's what you got to figure.
4: Yeah, the uh, psychology nowadays is just, it's completely whacked. It's crazy.
5: That's right. You see, everything is, look, you can't do the same thing, why people liked me, because I'd done something different. And that was it. I was different. You understand? Yep. And if you bought me into your territory or on, on on your radio show, the first thing what I would do is I would try to tear up the I would try to tear up your uh, your show. Because if I went there and just started talking to you, blah 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 didn't do nothing on your uh, on your show, people say, Oh that's not i do so, so that means I'd have to grab you or throw some furniture around or something, that's it. So oh.
4: Yes. Now, as far as yourself, are you out there on kind of social media? Kind of work as far as uh, you're still doing signings and stuff when, when all this passes?
5: Yeah, autograph system. I do autograph system. I'm, I'm waiting for another, maybe the end of the year, to get my hip done. And I'm going <laughs> to, at, at, at 80 years old, I'm going to st- uh, uh, step into the ring one more time. But I'm going to have. Somebody oh, who's Abdullah Jr. That's it. Because people just want to see me. They want they want to see what I can still do. Mm, yeah, take, yeah. If I take a chair, if I take a, a fork, stab somebody. That's what they want to see. That was it.
4: So and then you would be eight decades of wrestling. That'd be pretty crazy.
5: <laughs> you know who was who was great, Lou Thesz.
4: Yes, yeah, one of the best.
5: Lou, Lou says was great. You understand? Uh, he knew how to work. Terry Funk, Bruce of Stan Hansen, everybody. We knew how to make people, and that's the name of the game. If, if I went into the ring with you, I could make you overnight, and that was it. So.
4: All right, awesome stuff. Is, is there a place where people can reach out to you? Do you do social media at all or no? What do you
5: mean?
4: Like, are you on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of uh, crazy stuff that they have nowadays?
5: Oh well, yeah. I sell some of my merchandise on, on on the thing.
4: That's it. Yep. And what is your website?
5: There's a, there's a lady who takes care of me. Uh, her name is uh, Malika. I think you talked to her before, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Call her. I mean, right now, she's, she's up in... Uh, up in Connecticut. And you give her a call in a, in a few days, and then you tell her that she can give you my, uh, my uh, everything. She can give it to you.
4: Actually, I got it right here. Uh, you are Ab the Butcher on Instagram, right. and, uh, Ab, and at Ab the Butcher on Twitter as well. Didn't realize that. Wow, so she's got you all set up. Very good. Yeah, that's
5: it. And then I saw a lot of my merchandise and stuff like that. I got, uh, when I was in Texas, you know, they put me in, in the Hall of Fame in Texas. You know about that, don't
4: you? Yes, yep, the Pro yeah. Wrestling Hall of Fame, yep.
5: Right, but that is the first Hall of Fame. Did you know that?
4: Yes, correct.
5: That's the first one. And and they give me the Hall of Fame ring, and they give me the uh, uh Stetson hat, what had inside of it, a Bill the Butcher Hall of Fame, and that was it. And those people, those people down there respect you. That was it.
4: So. Yeah, and WWE Hall of Fame as well. Let's not uh, let's not forget about that big honor. What's that? WWE Hall of Fame as well. Can't forget that.
5: WWE Revenge.
4: Yes, his Hall of Fame. Sir. Yes,
5: 2011. Yes. sir the only the only reason why i got into the hall of fame there they needed somebody to draw people and when i went in there yes they gave me the hall of fame ring but they never did let me work in there in new york right they, they only it's bought me in to draw people and that was it it's
4: pretty uh, crazy didn't work there but yet still in their hall of fame It's pretty cool uh, you know yeah. from, from a fan perspective that's it so anything else no, that is all I got for you. Thank you so much uh, for all the time tonight. I really uh, appreciate it, and it's great to talk to a absolute legend of the business. Like I said, seven decades. Of wrestling. Absolutely. seven decades. Crazy. Absolutely. So, thank you so much. Such an honor.
5: Now, if you uh, sometime if you want to make a, a phone call to uh, Mrs. Malika, mm-hmm. and if you know if you want some merchandise or whatever you want, you know this is it. Make sure that you, your father and mother are still alive. It comes time for Mother's Day, make sure that you take care of her.
4: Yes. And make absolutely.
5: sure that you give her a gift. Sometimes, you ever give her a gift? Mm-hmm.
4: Oh yeah, for sure.
5: All right. Next time, uh, I'll send you a four.
4: <laughs> oh, I'll take that. That would be awesome. Nice. Okay. All right, sir. Take care. Thank you very much for having me on. Yes. And, Thank uh,
5: you. don't forget, we have to. We got to work out this here disease, whatever they got. We got to take care of ourselves. Everybody together. We got to stop playing around doing this, doing that. We got to work together. All of us. I I don't care what you are black, white, green, Mexican, or anything. We got to stay together. We got to work together. Okay?
4: Yep. Absolutely.
5: Take care of yourself. You (laughs) too. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you.
2: They're right in front again. Steiner does not want to be there, and Cactus Jack is up near the switch. Cactus Jack is up near the switch. There he is, they're ready, they're gonna put Steiner in there.
0: Steiner's got to fight for his life. Oh, he belly to He's got Abdullah in there. He belly to belly! What strength by Rick Steiner! He's trying to hook Abdullah. The crowd here going crazy in the opening moments of Halloween Havoc. Cactus Jack, he thinks Steiner's in there, but it's Abdullah. Cactus Jack thought it was Rick Steiner, but Abdullah.
2: My gosh, think about what he's experiencing. He's getting cooked. And I think he's well done, guys.
0: What a wild matchup. The ring's even on fire. They use sticks, they use steel. A lot of blood was spilled and Abdullah felt the power of the chair of torture.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the Chamber of Horrors, the team of El Gigante, the Steiner Brothers, and Steve. Now Jim, apparently
2: the big guy is still out.
0: Well, I have been around uh, the sport probably more years than i like to comment on, but I have never ever witnessed a cage match with a veracity of that one you had 8 men in there and their objective was not to pin anyone not even to make someone submit to throw them over the top rope and I don't know the condition of Abdul the Butcher and I don't see anybody rushing to give him mouth to mouth resuscitation as a matter of fact <laughs> right maybe on. Cactus Jack could take that assignment but it it was the plan backfired because Cactus Jack thought that Rick Steiner was in the chair Tony but when he turned back around, Rick Steiner just belly to belly, Abdullah set him down.
2: Now he's going to try to touch Abby to see how he is here, and unhook him now from the from the chair of torture. What a wild event this was!
0: Cactus Jack, a little frantic but well, he's opened his eyes. Oh, he knocks him down. Ab- Abdul is a little. Well, he obviously is a little deranged. My gosh, he's kicking anything that's around. And now the
2: the men that brought down the stretcher, every one of them getting beat up. Well, I guess when he opened his eyes, he thought he was in heaven and he knew he shouldn't be there. And he's hitting everything that moves your right. My gosh, what a situation here.
0: The team of Sting, Eligate, and the Steiner Brothers have won it. He's even got his partner there. There's
2: the results right there of the Chamber of Horrors steel cage matchup.